BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Happy Monday. I'm David Brody. It's the first day of February 2021, and President Joe Biden has a huge opportunity in front of him, a chance at congressional unity, that's a bit creepy, uh, a chance to hold hands with some Republicans in a push to get a scaled-down COVID stimulus bill signed into law. The question here is, could this be a legislative kumbaya? Could it be on the horizon? Well, later this afternoon, 10 Republican senators are going to meet with POTUS about their smaller $600 billion relief bill. The president wants the whole $1.9 trillion enchilada, so will he strike a deal for the sake of unity, or will he veer far left and say, forget about it to these center-right Republicans? Also today, Planned Parenthood surely celebrating the new Biden administration policies. We're going to talk to a congressman who's trying to wipe the smile from their collective faces. And the latest on the COVID vaccines, plus news about a new at-home COVID test where your results can be delivered to your smartphone. Hello, hey, in just 15 minutes. But first, the delegate negotiations and unity balance tap dance in Washington. Will Joe Biden move towards the middle with the GOP on a COVID relief bill or will AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer drag him left? Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today. Roll the Psaki side. Well, the president has been clear since long before he came into office that he's open to engaging with both Democrats and Republicans in Congress about their ideas. And this is an example of doing exactly that. So as we said in our statement last night, it's an exchange of, an, of ideas, an opportunity to do that. This group obviously sent a letter uh, with some outlines, some top lines of, of their um, concerns and their priorities, and he's happy to uh, have a conversation with them. What this meeting is not is a forum for the president to make or accept an offer. Uh, so I think that's important uh, to convey to all of you. Uh, and his view, it remains uh, what uh, was stated in the statement last night, but also what he said on Friday, which is that the risk is not that it is uh, too big, this package. The risk is that it is too small. Uh, and that remains his view, and it's one he'll certainly express today. Go ahead, darling. So what would you say is more important to the president at this point on this first legislative test? Is it going big or going bipartisan? It seems like you can't have both. Uh, well, I think the president believes we can. And there is a historic... Uh, evidence uh, that it is possible to take uh, a number of paths, uh, including uh, through reconciliation, if that's the path that is pursued, and for the vote to be bipartisan. But it's important to him that he hears this group uh, out on their concerns, on their ideas. He's always open to making uh, this package stronger. Uh, and he also, as was noted in our statement last night, remains in close touch with Speaker Pelosi, with Leader Schumer, and he will uh, continue that engagement throughout the day and in the days ahead. All right, so let's be clear, folks. President Biden is in the driver's seat, right? If he wants to forget the GOP offer and simply pass a much larger COVID relief bill with Democrat votes only, he most likely will have that option. So the choice is really his. It's a big one. 
And let's talk about it. Joining me now to discuss this and a few other congressional-related topics, U.S. Congressman Michael Cloud from the great state of Texas. Congressman, glad to have you on the show again. Good to be here. Congressman, so what do you think? Do you think President Biden is going to settle for a middle-of-the-road deal here, or do you think he's going to be under a lot of pressure from his left flank and instead decide to, in essence, rebuff the GOP here? Well, hopefully we can see uh, the policy meet the talking points about unity and, and reconciliation, but what we see happening so far is we've seen COVID relief uh, put on the back burner for po political reasons in the House. Now we're coming to what we've seen so far in the Biden administration has been uh, ruled by executive fiat. We don't have first votes in the House until the end of February, oddly. Uh, and so now they're talking about reconciliation. The irony of the term itself uh, says a lot uh, as a way to force through will in the Senate in order to pass something like this. So hopefully the talks today do produce something that's more bipartisan, uh, something that's more targeted uh, than uh, many of the proposals that we've seen talked about so far. I also want to ask you, uh, there, there's a few things I want to get to, but I did want to ask you about the energy uh, jobs that have been lost uh, due to this ex these executive orders as it relates to the Keystone Pipeline and a few others. Uh, what's your take on what the, the president is doing there? Because I know 26 at least Republican senators sent him a letter saying, mm -hmm. hey, stop the, stop the bleeding here. Yeah, the, what's been the amazing story in the last four years is the American energy renaissance and what it's meant from our national security, what it's meant to the strength we have going to the negotiating table for trade, what it's meant to the American economy and the jobs it's produced uh, in, in communities throughout and families throughout our nation. So this is definitely the wrong way to go. Some of the policy we've seen implemented right here at the very beginning to that strike at all those things, that, that take food off the tables for the American people, that take away their ability to work and have jobs. Uh, we make Caterpillar uh, excavators here in my district about five minutes from my house. And, and, you know, so there's a ripple effect on all these things uh, when it comes to the, all the industries that support the, in the uh, us having a robust energy industry here in America. And they only play into uh, nations that produce energy. It's, the energy is going to be bought. It's going to be sold. It's going to be used. Uh, the question is who's going to produce it. And we think that Americans do a much better responsible job and certainly that we provide a stabilizing force when we have that American energy. Congressman Cloud, I, we brought you on because I want you to talk a little bit about a new bill that you have out as it relates to, uh, well, I mean, you can explain the bill, but Planned Parenthood is involved in this as it relates to making sure they don't get Medicare Medicaid or Medicare funding. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about the bill that you have out there specifically because, and you can see it there, Congressman Cloud, Senator Langford introduced bill to prevent Medicaid, excuse me, Medicaid funds from supporting abortion providers. Talk to me about this because Joe Biden talks about unity quite a bit, but uh, he's done a lot of uh, stuff on the life issue from an executive order standpoint that seems to go against bringing Americans together. Yeah, well, it's it's a very um, popular understanding in the United States. The vast majority of, of Americans agree that your tax dollars should not go to fund someone else's abortion. Uh, that, that includes many uh, abortion advocates who understand that you know, you shouldn't be forced to pay for somebody else's abortion. And so we've seen a lot of those policies already rolled back in a Biden administration. Uh, but what our bill does is it ensures that your tax dollars that are going to states through the Medicaid program, that states have the uh, leeway, so to speak, they have the right to exclude abortion providers. Uh, it doesn't reduce the dollars that are going to those states what it, for uh, health care, for women's health care. What it does is it says, uh, okay, if you're not spending money on abortion, 
uh, you can spend it in other ways that, that really benefit women's health care. And here's, here's my issue as it relates to unity that I mentioned just, just recently here to you, which is if the president wants to bring about unity, I mean, if you look at the polls, 60% of Americans don't want U.S. taxpayer money going to fund abortion. So, like, in other words, I get it, elections have consequences, but you would think if you're going to go with a majority position, well, this is a majority position in America. People don't want to see this. What we've seen before, whether, you know, it's, it's a COVID policy, whether it's energy policy, uh, whether it's uh, pro-life abortion policy, what we haven't seen is that middle-of-the-road approach so far. I, I hope we make a turn from that, but what, that's not what we're seeing right here off the bat. We need to return to that. We need to get to where the American people are when it comes to setting policy for the American people. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the middle-of-the-road approach. I think a lot of people wonder what, what that is exactly, especially on a very contentious, <laughs> and, and, uh, contentious issue here in America. Well, and like you said, though, this is one to where whether you're pro-life or you're an abortion advocate, the idea that you should be forced to pay for someone else's abortion, I think it's, it's something that many people understand that should not you should not be forced to do. It's a matter of conscience for so many Americans. Mm -hmm. Where do you think, what, what are you looking for from the Biden administration going forward, whether it be on the life issue? Because the truth of the matter is he's going, he's rescinded the Mexico City policy. Uh, it looks like Title 10 funding is going to, uh, you know, could be reinstated and in essence uh, reversed from what Trump did. So what, what are you hopeful? Is there anything to be hopeful? <laughs> is there anything to be hopeful about <laughs> with this Biden administration? <laughs> We're only a couple weeks into it. Uh, so far, it's not looking really great, you know. And if you look at where the left is going with this, you know, PETA just put out a thing this week uh, trying to encourage us all to be careful using uh, animal words because it would be offensive to animals. Uh, and that would be comical, except for the reasoning behind it was they said it would look as if we're trying to value human life over animal life. And so, the whole foundation of our republic is based on the idea that our rights don't come from government. They come from God, who's created all of us equal. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the extreme left is really trying to push this. At the root of all of this is that ideology, that thought that says that we're not created in the image of God, and therefore the rights do not come from him, and therefore uh, government has a right to do what they want. Where do you think this is eventually going as we wrap up here in terms of Joe Biden and his administration? Uh, do, do you think he'll take the unity cue at all, or do you really think he's just going to go far left and say, you know what, now is the time, uh, and, uh, you know, they've got three branches of government uh, in their control, and they're going to push through what they're going to push through? Well, I'm, I'm uh, an optimist, so I'll always be hopeful. Uh, but at the same time, looking at what's happened so far, we're just not seeing it yet. So uh, we're going to continue to work to hold down the, the line as much as we can on these and policies that are so important to the American people. But uh, really, uh, sooner or later, the policy's got to match the rhetoric. Uh, it can't be uh, unity by conformity. Uh, it, it, we've got to have input. We've got to restore freedom of speech uh, throughout the country. Also, uh, minority rights to, to debate bills in, in Congress, you know. So if we're going to talk about unity, let's let the uh, let's let the words or the actions meet the words. And the last time I checked, there's an election coming up in 2022. And that House is a razor thin majority for Democrats, razor thin. So, yes, All very right. much so. Congressman Cloud from Texas. Great to have you on the show. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.
All right, that's Congressman Michael Cloud uh, from the great state of Texas, where they do everything bigger down there. Uh, I tell you what, there are certain things that I do big in Maryland and D.C. and Virginia, the DMV up here, and that's eat. All right, when we come back, Lisa Desjardins, a correspondent for PBS NewsHour, breaking down the COVID stimulus bill. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. I want to get into the minutia, not the Steve Mnuchin. I want to get into the minutia of this uh, COVID stimulus relief bill. Uh, it's really interesting, kind of a tricky legislative and Oval Office dance by uh, President Biden. The real question is, uh, do you... Do you say, hey, budget reconciliation, I'm going further left, $1.9 trillion, and go 50 votes and hope for the best and hope Manchin and others stick with you? Or do you uh, say, you know what, Republicans have this deal out there. We get 10 GOP senators and go for something smaller. Let's discuss it, shall we? The minutia with Lisa Desjardins, the uh, correspondent for PBS NewsHour. Lisa, always great to see you. Great to see you, David. Good to be here. Well, uh, let's talk about Minutia, shall we? Uh, what do you think? Uh, what, what's happening here? I mean, we have this uh, meeting coming up later this afternoon with uh, President Biden and 10 Republican House members, or excuse me, senators. Where do you think this could potentially go? This is an interesting one. Oh, it's so interesting. So much to talk about. This is President Biden's first in-person meeting, or really meeting, I think, of any sort that I know of, uh, with members of Congress, certainly at the White House. Uh, and for that, Republicans are, are they're making some noise out about that. There you see the 10 Republicans uh, that have been invited and that we expect to attend this meeting today. It is a snowy day here in Washington. There have been a few travel issues, uh, but I know that most of these senators were already in town and should be able to make it there tonight. All right, what happens? You've got these 10 senators say $600 billion is what we're ready to spend and what we think is needed now for the coronavirus crisis. President Biden says, no, we have to think bigger, 1.9 uh, trillion. And it's interesting from Democrats who hear an, a rising mantra, a rising message, which is the biggest mistake we can make is to not go big enough. Republicans obviously feel differently. They think that going too big would be a mistake. You know, And I, I, I'm frustrated a little bit by uh, where this debate stands and maybe a little bit about the coverage of it. This really is not the partisan debate purely as people have made it out to be. Mm -hmm. You know, David, there are many Democrats who also think 1.9 trillion is way too large. Right. And talking to those sources, they told me last week, um, they didn't think that the explanation that the Biden administration gave them over the phone uh, really backed up the 1.9 trillion. They want more data. They think that was, and not just not just Joe Manchin, other Democrats also think that that is more than they need to spend now. Well, see, so that's interesting because then it takes you, If we've heard all this talk about budget reconciliation, but, you know, I say time out on that. I mean, if you mm -hmm. need all 50 and, and you may not get Manchin, who knows about Kristen mm -hmm. Cinema? What about Tester? There's some others. I mean, so, so now you could be rolling the dice if you don't take a Republican deal. It might not mm -hmm. be such a slam dunk on budget reconciliation. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And I think we also, there's a name that people should watch that might not be on everyone's radar, but is also in that group, Raphael Warnock. 
He is up for re-election in 2022 as well. He has said he wants to be a senator who reaches across the aisle. He is going to have a tough re-election fight in Georgia. Everybody knows it. Biden won't be on the ballot. Trump won't be on the ballot. Raphael Warnock will be on the ballot. So he has to be seen, especially by Georgians, as trying to run up the middle in some way. Uh, you know, I think what we're in for here, really, bottom line, is probably, what day is it? February 1st, another good month of back and forth, this scheduling whittled down, trying to figure out what exactly is essential or not. There is a chance that Democrats get the vote for reconciliation. But right now, that's not what the Democrats, like you said, Mansion Cinema, the ones who will decide if reconciliation is possible, they, that's not where they are right now. They still, I think, would prefer a bipartisan deal. Well, and there's two problems with that, right? I mean, everybody talks about how Demo Democrats control all three branches of government. But yeah, hold on, barely control it, right. number one. Uh, and, and so you, you wonder if this isn't, I and mean, this is my analysis cap on for a second, you, don't, you wonder if this isn't just a gift for Biden. I mean, he talked about unity, and here come 10 GOP senators marching into the Oval Office. And I get it. They're not MAGA nation folks. But, I mean, yeah. we weren't going to expect that anyhow. But but here's the center right, if you will, kind of coalition saying, here you go. Here's an olive branch, take an off ramp or some sort of ramp. And you, you would think he would do that after uh, basically campaigning about unity for a year and a half. It is an opportunity in that way. But I think the Biden administration also is nervous about the economy, also believes that things are worse than they expected coming into facing this coronavirus. And I think that because of that, they are airing very strongly on the side of we need more stimulus. We need more money to get the vaccine out and to produce the vaccine. Um, and we need to go big. And so I think that they, there they have a problem with their two goals kind of colliding, this idea of being bipartisan, and then this idea of Biden's number one goal right now is to help the country recover. Mm -hmm. uh, now, part of that, we know other Democrats, they haven't said this yet, but we know Bernie Sanders would love to include some other probably non-coronavirus ideas into budget reconciliation. Mm -hmm. As you know, they get one shot at this a year, only one reconciliation bill each year. And so if they wanna do anything else, perhaps, should I mention healthcare? Uh, this would be that opportunity. Now, can they even get 50 votes for, say, an optical, optional Medicare for all plan? That's also to be determined, but it doesn't seem like they're on that track right now. They haven't really um, kind of worked their caucus, had those conversations yet. But there are Democrats who know that reconciliation is the opportunity for that if they have one. Well, you've been around, obviously, covering this for a while, Lisa. You wonder if the sweet, there isn't a sweet spot to be had here. Right, you know, right. so somewhere, I mean, I'm not gonna get into geek out on figures, but you know, 600 billion and 1.9, I'm doing some quick <laughs> right. math, you know, somewhere in that 1.2 billion and try to satisfy right. everybody. Uh, and, and I did hear from Jen Psaki on the podium today. She kept talking about how, you know, it's important that uh, they have to go Big. They have to go big, and, and it's kind of what you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, it, yeah, it does seem like there's got to be some some mathematician somewhere has figured out the formula for how mm -hmm. they end up. <laughs> they always yeah. end up somewhere in the middle. And I think the 600 billion, honestly, from Republicans, is a negotiating stance. I think that they yeah. these Republicans would be willing to accept more, but they know with Biden at 1.9, they've got to go low because it's going to be somewhere in the middle. They, I think, probably want under a trillion. Some of them want way under a trillion. Some of them want a little under a trillion. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we ended up. But it is going to matter what that money goes to. Will it go to schools? This Republican yep. offer has very little money for schools in it because Republicans feel a lot of schools haven't opened up yet. And we've given them money before. Also, how about state and local? 
I think watch for there to be money for state and local governments, but it probably won't be called that. It might be used in some other term to help some other state to help with X, Y, or Z, um, but it will be money to help state and local governments. That will be a yeah. big fight with Speaker Pelosi. And, and this is why I love having you on, because you, you know, you, because you, you know, you know the deal, right? That state, state <laughs> local government stuff, you know they're going to spin that some other way. I get it, because yeah. that's been a big stumbling block all along. So, all right, Lisa. You're the best. We thank you hey. so much. Right. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Uh, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, that is a cool name, by the way. Uh, we should do that. The water cooler with David. Oh, no. David. No, that doesn't work. All right. Back in a moment. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, boy, lots to unpack inside this uh, COVID stimulus bill. And there's also a lot of stuff as it relates to American buyback program that Biden wants to do. There's a lot of stuff flying, not to mention a lot of money flying all over the place. And what does that mean for taxes, tax increases, tax cuts? Yeah, I don't know about tax cuts, FYI. Uh, let's bring in uh, Julio Gonzalez, uh, President and CEO of Engineer Tax Services. He's also uh, was a member of the president, Presidential Tax Reform Roundtable under President Trump. Uh, Julio, great to see you, sir. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely no tax cuts, right? It looks like it's going to be tax hikes. <laughs> right. Well, why don't you take us through that process? What, what are you seeing from the Biden administration so far when it comes to potential tax hikes, whether it be in uh, this COVID stimulus package or so, some other proposals that he has on the table? No doubt, you know, like death taxes are coming and he wants to increase them, right? He wants to repeal the tax reform we passed in 2017, which brought down the income tax rates for individuals mm -hmm. and all small businesses and large corporations, right? So everyone that pays taxes had lower income tax rates. So he wants to bring those up nine to 10%. That's a big increase, right? Especially coming out of a pandemic and trying to open up again. So we're opening up hopefully and opening up to a big tax increase and that's problematic. Before we get to some of that, uh, in addition to what you're talking about regarding tax increases, what about what the president and Congress are talking about just this week? You know, this idea of some sort of limited COVID stimulus package. You, you wonder if the president and Democrats are really going to want to do that. They want to go big. They want the $1.9 trillion. Uh, if they really want to push this through budget reconciliation, they've got the votes to do it. If, if you can keep Manchin and some others in, in tow. Well, what's your sense of what's happening this week on Capitol Hill and at the White House. I think you're right. I think they're going to have to go down the path of reconciliation, right? Because they're not going to be able to get the 10 extra votes in Senate to get to 60, right? And they already talked uh, this morning about going through the reconciliation process, which they get to do once a year. And so this is probably where they would put a big stimulus program into a tax reform bill and get it all done in March and go through the reconciliation process and try to balance out, you know, some of the conservative people they even have on the Democratic side in the Senate to get this done. So I think that's the path they want to go.
So just so I understand what you say, because you said in March, so I mean, who knows what the timetable will be exactly, but let's explain to our audience what we're talking about here. So we've got the COVID stimulus package that is being negotiated now, but then there's the actual, what are, what are you referring to, the budget itself uh, and what they're going to put through on that or Biden's economic buy, buy American plan? I mean, there's all sorts of things floating around here. What, what are you talking specifically about? What are you the most concerned about? Well, good question. I mean, typically all these things get done in one bill, right? So they all come together. Everyone's trying to get the tax reform bill done, right? And then they're trying to get the budget done. And then they're trying to get the stimulus program done. But it's all going to come together into one bill and go through reconciliation. I think that's the only way you get it all done. And it's the only way you can get it done through the Senate with 50 votes. And so I think, you know, like we saw with the last stimulus bill, I mean, that we had the budget in that as well, right? So always it's a collective uh, amount of things coming together to get passed in one vote. What is your biggest concern when it comes to tax uh, increases by this administration? What are they looking to do specifically? I mean, we, we know about uh, uh, obviously the corporate rate. Uh, I think they, they at some point they want to increase that. So w- what's, our, what's your sense about how ambitious and bold they can be? Well, it's not only that, though. So they want to increase the tax rates, but they want to take away some of the tax deductions that businesses have for buying equipment and immediate expensing for those things. So they want to take those things away as well. They want to take away 1031 exchanges to impact the real estate community. So there's a bunch of collective things. You know, they're talking about taxing, you know, gains on unrealized assets. So I think that'll hurt the stock market, right? If you're paying taxes on gains you've had in the stock market, but you haven't even sold your assets, that's a huge shift, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're looking for big ticket items to fund a lot of these social programs that they want to get passed. You know, uh, Julio, they, 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 the Biden administration, even touting today that, or at least they're they're pointing to a Moody's expert uh, or Moody's report saying that seven and a half million jobs will be created under their stimulus plan. And I'm not quite sure how they get to that exactly. But what I think is interesting is they say that'll take us back to pre-COVID levels. And I'm thinking, well, that's translation is as in levels that President Trump brought about. Yeah, I mean, listen, everyone is going to have a different set of math, right? And uh, Mm -hmm. certainly their math is going to look favorable. But how can that be when we're taking away jobs because we just shut down oil production in Alaska and we'll do that throughout the country. So we know we lost those jobs. Now we're letting the China tariffs expire and let that product come in. So we'll lose those jobs. They want to do the artificial wages, right? So they want to take that up to $15. And what does that mean? We're going to lose jobs at the entry level and for those seniors that rely on those type of jobs. So that's not helpful. And then we're letting the immigrants in that take up those other section of jobs. So I don't see that happening. I mean, when you're giving away our oil in-house production and giving that to the outsource, that takes away a lot of jobs. He th- promises that he said he wouldn't do, got through on the executive order. I don't see where those jobs come from. Yeah, you mentioned the artificial wage. Uh, put another way, the, the, you're talking about the federal minimum wage, I'm assuming, is what you're talking about That's there? right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so what, what are you, what's your take on that? Because I know the Biden administration wants $15 an hour. They say there hasn't been, what, an increase in uh, 10 years or so. Uh, what, what's the argument against that? Well, I think when you create artificial wages, you hurt the, again, the restaurants, you hit the small business. And that's the problematic thing coming out of a pandemic when all of a sudden these jobs that are created through the small businesses, the restaurants, and the type of retail 
jobs that we've lost through the pandemic. And now we're going to try to open up these restaurants and then say, you got to bring back your artificial wages up to $15. I mean, that's going to be very problematic in certain uh, areas of the country, right, where the, the cost of index just isn't there. And then what that forces is automation, forces jobs going overseas. And I think that's what happens. Yeah. As we wrap up here, what's your gut instinct telling you about what Biden is going to do on unity? He kept talking unity, unity. We always like to say here at the water cooler, unity up the yin yang. I mean, he kept talking about that every single day. And now here's a, cho a chance for him uh, to have a little bit of unity. In other words, 1.9 trillion down to about 600 billion, I guess that's somewhat unity. You think he's going to go for it? Yeah, we just haven't seen those promises, right? We haven't seen the mm -hmm. unity. And in fact, we've seen jobs trips away. You know, last week, he basically said we can't have for-profit prisons, right? So all those jobs gone too. Yeah. Julio Gonzalez, the CEO of Engineer Tax Services. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Dad. All right. You know, I'll tell you what, when it comes to taxes, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I can't even do turbo tax. That, that's, how, that's how bad I am. I'm just like, can someone help me, please? All right, when we come back, the at-home COVID test coming to a home near you, which would be your home. <laughs> back in a moment. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Time to talk about COVID and vaccines and at-home COVID tests, uh, by the way. Uh, there's, there's news on that today. Uh, the, the federal government is investing 200, giving $230 million out of the Pentagon's budget there for at-home COVID tests to make sure uh, millions of Americans get them. Uh, it, it's a fascinating situation. Uh, here's more about it from Andy Slavitt, who is senior advisor for White House COVID response with the White House. Today, I will update you on progress and developments across several of these areas. I want to start with an exciting announcement. The Department of Defense and HHS made an announcement today at what will be the country's first over-the-counter at-home COVID test. The test is made by a company called Illum, and it's on a testing platform that was developed in the NIH's RADx initiative. Now, these are over-the-counter, self-performed test kits that can detect COVID with roughly 95% accuracy within 15 minutes. They can be used if you feel symptoms of COVID-19 and also for screening for people without symptoms so, so they can safely go to work, to school, and to events. They are appropriate for people ages 2 and older. The test is performed in what is called a mid-turbinate nasal swab, which basically means it's less invasive than the, than the long nasopharyngeal swab that people may have seen on the news. After you take the swab, you put the sample into a digital analyzer, which will send a result to your smartphone in about 50... And so there you have it. Uh, by the way, let me just say, 
a little TMI here, but I've had that uh, COVID test. I'm sure a lot of us uh, have had the COVID test. And, and look, I don't, I don't want to do the whole up the – but let me just say – I've had the normal one, you know, over at the White House. When I say normal, it's just very easy. It's very simple. It's just a boom. You're done. You're like, oh, that was COVID. And then you have one that goes all the way up, like, uh, through your nostril, up into your brain. That's not fun. This one seems right about in the middle. All right, let's bring in Dr. Falcone uh, with U.S. Uh, Acute Care Solutions board member there. Dr. Falcone, great to have you back on the show, sir. Great to be back, David. Thank you. Well, what do you make of this at-home COVID uh, test? I think that's going to give a lot of Americans some, uh, you know, general excitement to, to know that, they, you know, there it is next to the ibuprofen. There's your at-home COVID test. test. Yeah, it, it's interesting, David. We uh, At our company, we've actually sent those tests uh, through the emergency use authorization about a month ago to all of our clinicians so they could actually do at-home COVID testing. Obviously, we're in a different situation because we're healthcare workers and we're constantly being exposed to this. Uh, and we found them to be very effective, very accurate. Obviously, there's always going to be a false positive and false negative, so you have to be careful in that. Uh, but I think it will provide some level of reassurance to people that are able to test at home. And I think that's the way the country is moving. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we do antibody testing at home uh, as part of the overall strategy that we have to address this uh, virus. Well, and I think in society today, it seems like anywhere you go now, eventually you're going to be asked, to, do, do you have a COVID test? Did you take one, whether you board a plane or something along those lines? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's going to be part of the norm. Just like after 9-11, we had all these changes that we had to reach. Uh, if you're going to go on a cruise, you're going to probably have to show some documentation of, of vaccination status or travel overseas, certainly. Dr. Falcone, let me ask you about uh, the vaccine and its uh, accuracy and, and how, how well it's doing out there. What, what is your sense about the numbers? I mean, we hear a lot of we do hear some horror stories of people that have, I know that's in the minority that people took, took the vaccine and had this reaction. Some some very, 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 very few have actually died from it. I understand. I'm not trying to make an alarmist statement here. But I think people are still there are people concerned about taking this vaccine. Sure. And uh, you're right. Uh, obviously, we have to ask and answer those questions. Look, there's going to be common reactions that you're going to have, you know, typical myalgias, muscle aches. I actually had the Pfizer BioNTech uh, vaccine. I had the two doses and uh, I had a little bit of muscle aches, uh, a little bit of a headache the second day after the second dose. And that went away pretty quickly. These rare, very rare reactions, you're seeing one in a million or one in 10 million. The, the death associated with it is is predicted at one over 10 million doses. But overall, I think what people need to understand is the risk of dying if you get this infection is about 1%, give or take. Uh, so one out of 100. Uh, and the risk of the vaccines is much less than that. And these vaccines provide an incredible level of protection for serious disease. You know, serious respiratory infections, hospitalizations, and death. All of these vaccines, whether it's Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, or the J&J one, um, show very good protection once you've had time for your body to build that immune reaction to these more serious infections. Not to the mild ones, but right. to the more serious ones, which are the ones we worry about. Do we have any sense of how long a vaccine like this is good for that can protect you? Do we have any? What's, what's the analytical data on that? So there's a big institute out of California called Scripps Institute of Immunology, and they're producing a lot of these uh, immune response studies and long-term studies. Now, granted, the vaccines haven't been out there that long, right. so we have about six months worth of it. What they're finding is that for uh, there's anywhere between a couple weeks of protection 
to up to, if you track it out, up to a year of protection. And they think the average is somewhere between four to six months that the average person would have if they've been exposed to COVID. Now they're gonna track the vaccines now to see how long the antibodies last for that, because that was mostly based on people that have either gotten infections so, or were in early vaccine trials. So so just understand, you're, you're saying that after six months or so, potentially you would need another round of vaccine, vaccinated shots? The likelihood is just like the flu, flu shot, you get a yearly flu shot or a certain percentage of us get a yearly flu shot. You will likely need a yearly booster uh, to, uh, to COVID or coronavirus. Yes, I think that that's going to be something that will start being talked about uh, in the next three to six months. Interesting, because uh, that really hasn't been discussed much about what happens after the first round, right? I mean, we, we really don't know much about what was suppo- what's supposed to happen afterwards. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we're taking this one day at a time. You know, there's 50 million doses of vaccine that are out there. 30 million of them have been given. So, and I think we're doing, since mid-January, over a million doses a day. And I think that that will continue to ramp up. I mean, our first priority is to get as many people protected with the vaccine so they have a less likelihood of spreading it and certainly a less likelihood of getting severe disease. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the next question is going to be, how long does this last? And what's, what's, when is that booster shot? needed or that yearly vaccination or whatever we determine with the science about the timeline. Hmm. Dr. Falcone, love having you on the show. Hope you'll come back uh, and give us some great information. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Pleasure, David. Have a great day. You too. Wow, that's good stuff. Uh, And ladies and gentlemen, that was the intellectual portion of the show. Not to diss the other guests in the show, but come on. I mean, as a doctor, who am I? Like a TV anchor with makeup. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. Oh, it's so dramatic. I love that. We got to, Parker, we got to do that more often. That was good. Uh, hey, guess what? It's time for the, can we all sing it? No, there's no one here. It's just me. Poll of the day. The water cooler. Poll of the day. That's my brother uh, saying that. Anyhow, all right, here's, here's the poll today. General speaking, do you want uh, guacamole on your enchilada? No. Do you believe that schools in your area should be open for in-person learning or should they remain closed? 53% say open them up and open them now. Well, they just say open. 31% say uh, cl- keep them closed. 16% uh, really not sure. We'll get back to you. Uh, so there you go. And by the way, let me just say, Donald Trump, do we not... Let me ask you, do we miss Donald Trump real quick? I'm just asking, just between you and me. Are the cameras rolling? Oh, they are. All right. Do you miss Donald Trump? Hey, do me a favor. Send me an email. Uh, will, will you have the water cooler, uh, or as we say in New York, the water cooler uh, at justthenews.com. The water cooler at justthenews.com if you miss President Trump and what do you miss exactly uh, about him. Anyhow, Donald Trump for a long time had been saying open up the schools. And now guess what? Here we go. The Just the News poll of the day, 53% say open them up. I feel, I feel like Trump is always like ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, Donald Trump, how about his uh, son-in-law? Son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Uh, guess what? He's been uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Hey, let's give him a hand. Shall we? Now, now, of course, with liberals, there's smelling salts involved. You're going to have to revive them uh, from the floor because when they heard this news, they're like, you got to be kidding me. 
But it's true. Uh, he, he got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because of the Abraham Accords and all of the Middle East peace shufflings that he was doing and deals that he was doing. So good for Jared Kushner, and I'm sorry, liberals, I apologize. And it just makes me think that, once again, how much do you miss Donald Trump now that Joe Biden has done, what, 490,000 executive orders in the first uh, four days or so? I don't know. I can't keep track. The water cooler at justthenews.com. Send me your comments about Donald Trump, and we will post them. And by the way, speaking of Donald Trump, you know what we love? You know what we miss? Can we just, let's just play it, because we, let's put up the music a little bit. The whole thing, Latinos for Trump. Poor Donald Trump. Let's just go out with this. Let's just all soak it in. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. You notice in our graphics we have Donald Trump kind of hovering over Joe Biden because he's going to be hovering over Biden all of us the next four years. You know that's the case. Let's bring in Nick Balassi, who will talk a little bit about Trump, a senior correspondent with JustTheNews.com. Nick, huh, I'm out of breath. Good to see you, sir. Great to see you, David. So, uh, Nick, President Trump, former President Trump, uh, impeachment trial, about to get underway at some point here. What, what can you tell us? What, what do you know? Yeah, so the process is moving along in the Senate. There's still this talk going on about a resolution to censure Trump as opposed to the impeachment trial process and the conviction. I think the process would still go through, but the Democrats are seeing that the numbers aren't there to convict the president. We see a lot of Republicans coming out saying it's unconstitutional to proceed with this trial altogether because he's a former president. He's already out of office. So if you you know connect the dots here, Dem Democrats are seeing these votes aren't there for the conviction. So this censure resolution could be where uh, this situation is heading, and that could bar President Trump from serving in future office. That's where the Democrats seem to want to go with this. They have Susan Collins on board reported, reportedly on this resolution. She's working with Senator Kane on this. If this were to come to fruition, that's where this process could head. It could, it could turn into a vote to bar the president, the former president, from serving in future federal office. It would probably face legal challenges, though, yeah. on many levels. So we'll see where it goes. Well, Nick, just so I understand, so wait, does it take 67 for a censure, or is that 51? I'm, I, I don't even know, honestly. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's a good question. If they proceed as a resolution, mm -hmm. uh, they could get this through, from what I'm hearing. They could get this through with a simple majority if they do it as a resolution. But... There's also the filibusters, the legislative filibuster, which could apply here. So we'll have to see uh, how they write this, how they yeah. draft and how they bring it up and uh, whether there's bipartisan support. There's a lot that needs to be yeah. found out here. And we're, we're staying on top of it. It's just the news. I'm trying to get all the details. I know you are, Nick. You're running and gunning like the best one. Senior correspondent, Nick Balsey. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, justthenews.com. Check Nick out there. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Manny Miranda will be here, Nathan Gonzalez. Also, Dinesh D'Souza will be here. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show just the way we like it because we can get bored at times. So. See you tomorrow.